0: I mean, can you imagine a world where we didn't have our Figma library? (laughs) I would never open anyone's design files ever. (laughs) Oh, you need me to collaborate? No, I'll just build it myself. Don't worry. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the third episode of the Ops of Design. This will be the first of three episodes where Red shares his thoughts about the Design Ops Summit 2020 put on by Rosenfeld Media. We touched on some of the topics he felt were important and I also had some questions to dig a little bit deeper. So thanks for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Today, we want to talk about a recap of, of the uh, the summit you went to, right?
1: Yep. What was that summit yeah. called? That was a design up summit put on by Rosenfeld Media. Which um, was their other big they conference? Were, they do experience design. or
0: And enterprise. It's,
1: it used to be called enterprise. And oh, they've, okay. They've okay. changed it to experience now. And then right. they have a new one, which is coming uh, in the spring, uh, which is, um, on research. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I'm actually looking forward to that. Um, so yeah, they've got three. Um, and as far as I know, uh, don't quote me on this, even though we're recording it, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think Rosenfeld put out the first design ops conference, which really? was, what was it? 2018 Mhm. Yeah, cuz I think last year was the second one, this year was the third one. And the uh, first year that it came out, like everyone was just like, "Oh my gosh. <laughs> this is a thing. Let's go for it."
0: Uh, yeah. Um, you know, with COVID and all the craziness going on.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How would you compare this virtual conference compared to, you know, your typical in-person conference?
1: Yeah, so that's that's actually A really good question. I've been asking myself the same thing, kind of going into this, I was like, you know, for me, going to conferences has been an opportunity to travel, been an opportunity to meet new people and network, uh, an opportunity to learn. Um, And I was, I had some concerns that the uh, online digital experience of this was going to dramatically change that um, that value, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I found was, um, and, and maybe it's because of the circumstance that I could talk a little bit more about it. But uh, for me, the the virtual experience was actually really good. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it felt like, yeah, we're on a Zoom session with, you know, probably most of us or spend most of our lives on mm-hmm. lately is like, oh, here's another Zoom meeting, here's another Zoom meeting, here's right. another Zoom meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the, that cadence was, you know, somewhat familiar <laughs> from the working <laughs> aspect, but the the piece that I wanted to kind of touch on, um, Lou had actually, uh, who's uh, one of the, the main organizers of the, of the conference, um, had reached out to a number of folks, uh, and asking them to volunteer to be part of cohorts, so small groups of people, and then they would have those cohorts uh, facilitated by you know, one or two people. Um, I had opted to be part of a cohort because I thought, well, maybe this will help with that connection, help it not feel so virtual. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of the folks that were going to participate in the cohorts, um, they put out a call for folks to facilitate. I threw my name in that, and he reached out and he was like, yeah, please you know, help us facilitate this. So mm-hmm. I ended up facilitating one of these cohorts or co-facilitating, I should say, uh, with a colleague uh, from Frog named Kristen. And the two of us helped facilitate this cohort. There were, including us, uh, 14 people. And to me, the cohort experience was really what made the conference successful. Um, Had we not had that, I'm not sure if I would have been as engaged or really would have gotten as much out of it. Um, So it's hard to say that if virtual conferences are worth it. Um, I haven't had a pure virtual conference experience to really speak to. This was kind of like the first one. Mm -hmm. Um, But I had this experience tied together with this cohort. Um, So what we would do is we would, you know, there was a dedicated sort of Slack uh, workspace. Uh, for the conference and you know various channels. Um, The cohort had its own sort of uh, private channel that we would communicate in and while speakers were on we'd have conversations. We also spun up a Miro board which we used to kind of capture notes and synthesize like ideas and stuff and then at the end of the day we would convene as a cohort and actually discuss kind of like the day's activities. Um, You know what talks we really liked, what resonated really well with us. Um, So It gave us the opportunity to have that um, networking. Like, hey, I work here, I work there. This is the size of our organization. This is where we are in a maturity sort of situation. But it also kind of gave us the opportunity to be like, you know, this is what we're experiencing in our org or with our teams or like where we're looking to go or this topic that this given speaker had spoken on resonated with us because this is where we're wanting to go. You know, yeah, this is a really big uh, opportunity or need for our organization. So, the the cohort experience, um, you know, having that cluster of people to be able to like talk about stuff has been one of those things that's been really interesting.
0: Yeah. So when you say cohorts, right? Like when you think about a conference, right? Everyone goes to the main stage. Everyone sits together listens to a speaker but it's like it's almost like netflix party where groups are getting together to listen together and there's a bunch of different groups doing that and each little group has an opportunity to exchange ideas and talk about what's going on
1: yeah exactly yeah and i think um if there are folks that are listening to this that are interested in starting up a conference or moving their conference to a digital format having a cohort experience it's it's uh very valuable from an attendee perspective, um, I felt like the opportunity to be able to, um, you know, connect with people, to network, but also to like idea share.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, there there at a lot of different points. There was like this commiseration, like, let's just be cathartic about the pains that we're experiencing in this kind <laughs> of like growing field. Yeah. Yes, I'm feeling that pain too. Isn't this all? Awesome? You were yeah. not alone. <laughs> you are not alone. We're in this together. Yeah. Um, and I went to design off summit last year and mm-hmm. I got a lot out of it, but this year for some reason, like it felt like things kind of galvanized for me. Um, That's you know, awesome. my perspective yeah. on my career, the, the way that the industry is shifting, you know, for this given, you know, role set. Um, and more importantly, like leaving from this conference felt like this is my tribe, mm. um, which was the same feeling I had you know, 10 years ago, kind of getting into user-centered design when it was kind of starting to be called like UX. Mm-hmm. And I'd gone to a conference and I was like, these are my tribe. Yeah. These, these are my people, you know, leaving there and everyone's like, yeah, I'm really excited about this. This is, you know, how I feel we should be, you know, growing and moving and changing this industry and stuff. Um, so a lot of these folks had that same sort of like energy and enthusiasm and vision and uh it's 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 a very rewarding experience to connect with people for me conferences is if i had to measure it maybe 30% like education and like 70% like networking
0: i agree yep so yeah, you don't always like come back with something from a
1: conference that you
0: necessarily use but the relationships are valuable and the insights that you gain are yeah usually more valuable yeah
1: a, lo- a lot of the people That I met in that first conference, you know, almost a decade ago or whatever it was, um, I'm still in contact with. Some of them have like grown into really, really, you know, um, awesome parts of their career. So I've got to watch them evolve and grow and, you know, vice versa and stayed connected with them and connected them to other people. And they've also become, you know, folks that I've, um, you know, respected their perspective and experience. Um, And and hopefully, you know, the the goal is to actually have some of those people on this podcast.
0: Yeah. No, that would definitely be great. I definitely am eager to hear outside perspectives of of design ops and understand the challenges and problems other people are facing. Right now, I mean, obviously you have more network outside of it than I do, but um, from my perspective, it's only kind of been us together. So I look forward to that for sure.
1: Yeah. The... The other thing I was going to mention too about um, the digital format, um, at least from an outside perspective is people that work in sort of like this new remote culture, uh, what I've seen happening is the blurring of the lines of I am working and I'm doing something else. Mm-hmm. So it's like I'm working from home, it's like, oh, hey, I'm going to go, you know, get a snack or I'm going to go put a load of uh, clothes in the washer or, um, you know, I got to take out the trash or I've got like a doctor's appointment for my kid or something along those lines. Um, that, that multitasking or, um, you know, context switching is happening on a regular basis. And what I noticed from conversations with folks is that they're experiencing a similar thing when it comes to these digital conferences. Uh, which is, I think somewhat disappointing to some extent, you know, I had blocked out the time on my calendar, uh, and made sure that it was like, Hey, this is what I'm focusing on. Mm -hmm. And I don't have meetings that are kind of like sneaking up and stuff. That being said, it's very easy when you've got like Slack and emails that are just like at the ready when you're already in Slack and it's like someone's messaging you. So, um, (laughs) the multitasking while trying to attend a digital conference is a very um, painful reality.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I totally agree. I can totally understand that. Whether you're typing an email, checking Slack like you said, or doing design work while you're listening to someone talk, yeah. It's hard to disconnect and just stay focused in on what what you want to be focused in.
1: I found that us leveraging like a Miro board while we were kind of working through some of this was really helpful. It helped me stay focused. Cause I was like, okay, Miro ended up being sort of my, um, my place to document my thoughts as I was moving along. Mm-hmm. So it was like, Oh, I need to stay focused and like make this note in here or grab the screenshot or quote this. Um, exercise or whatever was going on and the um the context switching and distractions were limited mm-hmm. but yeah had i not been that active i think it might have been easier for me to just been like oh squirrel <laughs> <laughs> yeah hey, uh, like kids
0: in the candy store yeah well that's cool i mean it, i mean obviously you know the The Rosenfeld team, they know what they're doing, right? They have a lot of experience putting on conferences together. This whole COVID situation has pushed a lot of people to think differently. But, I mean, from the sounds of it, they really did think it through pretty good. Sounds like it was a success.
1: Yeah, they had done a cohort experience for their previous uh, conference, the experience one that I mentioned. Mm -hmm. Um, And they learned a lot from that and rolled the learnings into this uh, conference and uh, we met uh, the facilitators met over the past couple of days to essentially uh, share the retrospectives that we had done with our uh, given cohorts and said, "Hey, here's the things that worked. Here are the things that could be improved." Um, Lou was really responsive and had some really good questions and feedback, and was uh, very appreciative of that information coming back. And you know, said, "This information is going straight into the next conference uh, and That's improving awesome. this experience." Yeah, And, you know, from the conversations that I've had, it seems like even if we get to a situation like post-COVID where folks can actually go attend conferences in person, uh, it seems like there's going to be a hybrid model, to be honest. There's probably going to continue being this opportunity to go in person at potentially a slightly higher ticket price and then attend virtually.
0: I mean, definitely. I mean... That's just a reality of our current situation. And going forward, a lot of people are still tentative about even going out in public. So, I mean, that's going to linger for years, I think. Yeah. And, it, and yeah. it makes sense. Just like more companies needed to move remote, obviously conferences are going to start to allow remote attendees as well.
1: Right. Yeah, this remote culture isn't going away, if anything. I think COVID no. just kind of accelerated the the operations around it. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. Yeah, and you saw what I did. But you were right when we were talking about this. It is the opposite design.
0: The opposite design? Yeah, that one's it a little is. bit smoother.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I was just reading through Slack, and I saw it. I was like, there it is. I was like, I knew it was in Slack. That's that's our source of truth.
0: <laughs> Central source of truth, that's right. Uh, so, you know, as someone who didn't go or attend the conference, um, what would you say are is the main takeaway that you got from a, you know, either tactical or um, philosophical perspective?
1: Hmm. That's a really good one. Put me on the spot.
0: <laughs> well, I don't so, have much to add. That's why I have to ask these deep. No, questions. no, no, no,
1: You're, you're getting good at these, uh, interviewing questions and stuff. <laughs> um, Part of the exercise in Miro that I did with the team, uh, the cohort and stuff was uh, was go through and pull takeaways out from each speaker. So I have takeaways across all of the speakers, but I didn't actually like kind of bubble it up to like, what were my like one or two top takeaways. Mm -hmm. So thinking thinking about it, the first thing that comes to mind, whether or not it's the most important, Mm -hmm. is that we're we are all struggling with this Mm -hmm. situation and the situation being design teams growing the need for design ops growing even rap more rapidly. Like that, that need is, is just growing in leaps and bounds. Mm -hmm. Um, layer on top of that, things like COVID and, um, racial justice and political unrest and you name it, all the stuff that's kind of going on in the world, it's all impacting people. Mm -hmm. Like these are, these are all human experiences and those human experiences because of the nature of us being, um, you know, working from home, I think in a lot of cases is that we, our lives are blurring you know, the work and home scenarios aren't as like black and white anymore. There's a lot of gray areas. So a lot of that gray area is bleeding into our work. And a lot of our work is bleeding into our homes and our our home life and stuff. And the thing that I found comforting was that a lot of people are struggling with like, how do we deal with all of this change? How do we deal with all of this like, challenging situations, not only as the industry continues to explode, as, you know, the design ops, you know, uh, role continues to see tremendous value, but also, like, what are we dealing with this year in humanity? And how does all of that layer on top of each other? What's happening is that teams are struggling. People within those teams are struggling. And, you know, from like the OMS perspective, many of the design ops folks that I talked to were just like, hey, I really just want to try to figure out like how to help my team. Mm-hmm. So there's like this resounding sort of like, like deep breath, like, oh, I feel like I'm running all the time. I feel like no matter kind of this whack a mole game to some extent, it's like, I, I, Just nailed down one thing. and Oh, there's another one. I've got to go. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it's something that we're all facing, and 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 it's and it's happening in various different contexts. Like it might be a tooling thing, it might be a process thing, it might be a practice thing, it might be, you know, cross-functional alignment, it might be collaboration. It it could be any number of those things. Uh, It's going to be different from organization to organization. But everyone's struggling with it. Everyone is also very passionate about solving it and figuring out like, how do we come together as a tribe, learn from each other and continue to push this forward. Um, The thing I find interesting is seeing the growth of design over the past, I don't know, 10 or 15 years um, and seeing like, it feels like someone hits (laughs) like the nitrous, in the past like two or three years like i don't know what's happened i don't know if the tools have gotten better if things have just matured well enough across the space or design is valued more in organizations but like design has just been like really like blowing up the past three years mm-hmm. um that trajectory i see with design ops happening even faster so there's a lot of people looking for guidance a lot of people looking for um you know, how did you solve this? Um, and and not, I think there's also uh, one of the things I appreciated too from it was that people were very um, open to being vulnerable about the mistakes that they've made, which I found was was a big change. That isn't something that we've seen a lot in sort of like the design space, or maybe not enough of it, I should say. Yeah, I would agree. With that. Being comfortable with like, hey, I made a mistake. And this is what I learned from it, how I improve things. Um, and there, was, there were very candid conversations, not only in the cohort, but even from some of the presenters, where they were just like, we went down this path, and we realized halfway down it that we made the wrong choice. And we had to, like, shift gears and do something different. And by making that change and pivoting, we actually dramatically improved things. So, you know, there's obviously, you know, the... Um, happy ending in those situations but people are um you know about being vulnerable and candid about these situations of like failure and you know like fail forward essentially
0: Mm -hmm. that's an interesting comment you made because i've noticed the same thing but yeah you probably need to also look at it from two different lenses when you go to a conference you're not going to Hear all about the failures and then get down. You want to hear, you know, about the wins and what's doing good. But it is refreshing to hear that people are opening up and, like you said, being more vulnerable. To me, that's always more interesting than the wins. You know, I want to hear the losses, the failures, it's because, like you yeah. said, right, and share what you learned from it. I think people get a lot more from that than hearing, oh, you know, we killed this deal. We this design was the best in the world. We won ten thousand awards. Okay, I get nothing from that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There's a um, um, I think when you and I talked about this, I wanted to think about this. There were three days in the conference. Uh, each had their sort of like own tracks and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and in like day one, one of the one of the presenters, Ala um, Weinberg, was talking about psychological safety. And I know like where we're at, like this is something that we've been talking about for you know well over a year. Mm -hmm. maybe longer and to me like it made sense it was like oh yeah psych safety you know yada yada it felt like we're kind of going through the motions of trying to just make it a happier place what hit home about her talk though was like she was talking about the the actual like what happens in our brains when it comes to a safe space a truly safe space like Mm -hmm. we're able to think more effectively in that space and like she was she had shared you know a diagram that talked about like the different parts of the brain and what happens when psychological safety becomes less and less present different parts of our brain aren't operating as effectively so what happens is (laughs) to put it bluntly like as there is less psychological safety within an organization or a team, you become dumber.
0: Huh? Interesting.
1: Yeah. Because what happens is your brain starts to kind of shut down the more developed parts and kind of reverting back to more of some of the prehistoric parts. So your IQ actually drops as there's less psychological safety. And to me, like that was incredibly fascinating. And I was like, why aren't more people talking about this? (laughs) Yeah. It's like you want people to do really good work and you talk about psychological safety, but you don't talk about the why. Like, why is it so important? Mm -hmm. So to me, I just felt like that that was like a really big aha for me is like, yeah, it's great psych safety, happy teams. And it's like, no, there's actually a risk of not having psychological safety.
0: Well, now risk. there's quantitative data to prove <laughs> that Yeah,
1: <laughs> there's value
0: in, in having that safety for teams. Because, yeah, yeah. It, it's always at the surface level, right? Like, you, know, you, want, you want people to feel comfortable, safe, to take risks, to be able to speak their mind freely and open up about what they're working on or any challenges they're facing. Everyone right. handles that differently. You know, I, I'm a little... No, nah, Not harsh or blunt, but it takes a lot to really get under my skin, and I'm open to share my feelings with everybody any way I see fit, but I know people struggle with that, and they're a little reserved, and they do need to feel that comfort and understanding so but that's really cool i had <laughs> I didn't realize that the psych safety part also affected your i q
1: yeah, and the one of the other things that she had touched on I felt that like was really valuable too was this idea of building on psych safety was uh, celebrating exactly what I was just talking about, like Mm -hmm. celebrating mistakes.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, making it, uh, essentially, and this has been like one of my favorite words, and I don't know if it's a bad thing or a good thing, but normalizing mistakes.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: It's, It's normalizing the idea of like, hey, we went out and we tried this and it didn't work out. And, and actually having that be part of the culture of, oh, yeah, we went and tried this and it didn't work out. And this is what we learned, you know, the fail forward, you know, kind of adage. The part of this that kind of ties into psych safety is like, you know, organizations are like, oh, we got to innovate. Oh, we need to be super creative. We need to be super agile. We need to be all these things so we can be competitive. Yeah, that's great. But, you know to have those things you need to feel comfortable with taking a risk and if you do fail by taking that leap that it's not going to bite you in the ass yeah. and to me this concept of like mistake abrasion she called it um was like celebrating our mistakes learning from them that failing forward like having that be part of the culture obviously culture shift it, it takes time mm-hmm. and it takes a concerted efforts um, and one of the things that i've I've shared is like it also needs to be done from the leadership perspective. Like they need to set the pace because this is a very tricky sort of scenario. in the fact that if leaders are coming forward and saying, "I made a mistake, and this is what I learned," all of a sudden, you've made it okay to talk about things that way. And then somebody that looks up to you or reports to you says, Oh, well, my leader does this. it's okay. now mm-hmm. I can do it. But until leaders are doing this, like it's gonna be very difficult to change it from the bottom up.
0: yeah, now it's an excellent point about the whole leader aspect. you know if you see your leader making mistakes and admitting them and and then sharing the insight, learn from their mistakes, it empowers the rest of the team to do it.
1: yeah, let's see. I'm trying to think of like other sort of insights from like that first day cat Velos she had a talk on uh loneliness and it was like the first talk right out of, like day one right out of the gate And i was like wow <laughs> a bit of a heavy topic but also very poignant <laughs> i
0: mean yeah
1: yeah and it was like this is one of the things that i've been asking myself you know since march i guess is once I started first hearing the murmurings of folks feeling like disconnected and feeling lonely. yeah. Um, I, I, take, I, I take, I don't wanna say it's my responsibility, but I feel some responsibility in the connection or lack thereof of our team members. Mm-hmm. And if folks are feeling like disconnected, my immediate question is like, how can I help folks feel more connected? Mm-hmm. How can I help them feel like they're part of something? How can I help them feel like they're not alone? And the thing that she was talking about was like designing for connection, which I felt was an interesting sort of like concept. It's, you know, we're in a disconnected, remote sort of space. We have to get really, really creative on like creating ceremonies and practices and rituals in such a way that we're we're being intentional about being connected Mm -hmm. you know from onboarding to you know team activities um the things that we took for granted in the like hey we're all in the office sort of world that doesn't really exist so much anymore like how do we replicate that Mm -hmm. how do we recreate that in a digital sort of you know um space
0: but it's, yeah. I I saw the title of that talk, and I was wondering what that was. So it's very interesting that they open, opened up with that talk, and obviously yeah. right now this day and age, it's so, so valuable and so important. And it just, right. it's, it's amplified even more when you're not only dealing with COVID and the current situation with our country. Then, you know, you go from being in an office around a bunch of people to being at home. Mm-hmm. Then you have all the other stress. Yeah, <laughs> it's just everything's piling up on people, and I can't imagine how some people are are dealing with it. So, um,
1: yeah, the loneliness factor is definitely uh, a stressful one. And uh, there's the thing that I I'd say one of the big takeaways that I had pulled from that conversation, aside from the like design for connection, um, is also being very diligent, diligent, yeah, that's a great word, being very diligent about um, rewarding courage, vulnerability, and candor versus assimilation. Mm -hmm. So we were talking about vulnerability earlier and stuff, and it's like, we're all struggling through what we're experiencing in various different ways. Mm -hmm. What's happened, I think, as a culture, as a human culture, uh, and I don't know if it's like you know, Western Eastern or whatever those sort of you know, aspects happen to be, but I do know that there isn't a culture of being vulnerable and talking about like, hey, you know, I'm struggling with mental health, or hey, I'm feeling lonely, or hey, I'm feeling disconnected from the team. Like we haven't really built that in corporate culture or you know, in the workplace. Um, And I think that's what she's starting to touch on, is that we need to start, let me use that word again, we need to start normalizing that, like, we are humans, and we experience these things, and it affects the way that we work, and it it affects the way that we stay connected. And, you know, we spend so much of our waking time working with, you know, working, essentially, Mm -hmm. that, you know, that deserves to be as healthy as, you know, our non-work lives happen to be. So feeling lonely, you know, out of work or in work, it's still going to be something that hits home. So figuring out ways of being able to develop a culture of like, hey, let's be honest. When, you know, you ask the question, how are you doing? And I'm like, I'm having a really rough day, (laughs) which is rare, (laughs) which is rare. Yeah. Most people don't answer candidly, right? It's like, oh, I'm okay or Hey, I'm great. You know, yeah, I'm doing put, on, good, yeah. put on a mask. Yeah. Uh, versus like, you know what, let me show up as a human and actually connect with you and listen to you for a minute and figure out like, you know, can I support you in some way? Yeah. Um, which is kind of what I think she meant by the assimilation part. Like we've just done what everyone else is doing. We don't want to break the molds for the of situation, but in reality, like we are a social creature and having that sort of like taken away from us this year Um, we need to figure out like how to synthesize that in more creative ways. Uh, And I think a big part of it is making space for courage, making space for that candor develops trust. And that trust is what you're able to build really, really, really strong relationships with like coworkers. I mean, you and I, um, you know, friends outside of work, uh, friends, working colleagues, like I think a lot of that's built on trust and built on candor. You and I are very honest with each other about like whatever's going on. Um, and it takes time to, to establish that. I get that. But I see that the teams that work really well together have that level of courage and candor.
0: Yeah. That's interesting. Oh, I, I mean, not to get too crazy about it, but if there's a way for teams to measure that or to gauge that in their organization or not. Or is oh, it just a, a natural? Are you in my brain?
1: <laughs> I'm always thinking about how to measure stuff. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, it could be overkill, but I mean, I think like you said, it's valuable because to your comment about most of us, if someone asks us how we're doing for 98% of the time, we're, oh, I'm doing good. I'm doing great. And most of the time it's because A, you're probably not comfortable sharing your true feelings with that person. Or if you're like me, I don't really like offloading some of my own mental uh, baggage on other people, so I usually just keep it to myself. but being able to 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 speak freely, speak openly, and reach out when you need the help is sure. is definitely needed so much more today than yesterday
1: there's there's something about the vulnerability and i and I mentioned this a little bit earlier, and you're touching on it too, which is when leaders set the example by being vulnerable, we create space for other people to be vulnerable Mm -hmm. as well. Um, Somebody in the Slack cohort was, you know, asking some questions about, you know, um, what's one thing you learned about yourself uh, this year during COVID? And, you know, there was like kind of the general run-of-the-mill sort of like responses and stuff. And, you know, I think this was soon after Um, cats talk, (laughs) and I was like, in the interest of candor and vulnerability, I was really surprised that I was able to handle so much in my life, like far more than I realized I was capable of even going through like, you know, severe anxiety and PTSD based on like trauma responses and stuff, Mm -hmm. working through a lot of, um, like therapy and kind of coming out on the, on the other side. And I would imagine if I had been in a room with people, it would have probably, you know, pin drop sort of situation.
0: (laughs) What do you mean? Um, Like sharing your perspective and and your experiences? Well,
1: yeah. The fact that people just don't do that. Mm -hmm. But to me, like there's a a, a certain amount of courage to come forward and say, you know, here's my vulnerability. Mm -hmm. I'm going to make space for other people to actually share. And a lot of people like messaged me and were like, Hey, thanks for sharing that. That I was actually... Um, you know, really inspiring to see like that we can kind of make space for that, which leads me back into what I'm kind of talking about. It's like Mm -hmm. we as leaders and you don't have to be, you know, a senior director of design or something along the lines to be considered a a leader. Like, you can be a leader within your team of three, you know, you're, you're a person that has a vision and driving towards like making things better around you, which is a lot of what we do in design ops. Um but being able to make that space and kind of like be authentic and have that courage to be vulnerable. And then by doing that, you kind of set yourself up, kind of put yourself out there. Yeah. It it could bite you. I don't disagree with that, but I think what it does is it creates that space for folks to feel comfortable to be like, you know what, I can also be a little bit more vulnerable and be a little bit more authentic. And by creating that, now we've developed some trust and now we can build upon that trust. I think a lot of the working relationships that I've had over the years, the ones that I look back to have that foundation of candor and vulnerability and trust. Those are the people where I'm like, I really like working with these people. They challenge me. I can challenge them. They get better work out of me. Um, But at the end of the day, like we both have each other's interests and best interests at heart.
0: Yeah, I really like that last piece that you added um, as far as the challenging aspect and and me and the way my brain works is I'm always looking for those challenging, difficult projects, stories, topics to to either discuss or work on. And yeah, you're 100% right. When you're comfortable with someone, you're more open about your feedback. You're more honest about your feedback. And in a way, you know, from my perspective, I give that feedback to drive people to, to want to pursue the more challenging um, aspects of their work so it's very refreshing to be able to work with a lot of people like that
1: yeah you you feel like you're pushing yourself they're pushing themselves you're pushing each other to kind mm-hmm. of improve and grow and there's you know there's value in that of course at the yeah. end of the day you're like hey i'm a better person because of my relationship with this person or these people
0: yeah exactly it's very hard to get to the level that you envision for yourself when you're just hearing you know pats on the back or yeah, you're doing good. Keep it up. It's like okay, what am I doing good? You have this imposter feeling. I don't really feel I'm doing good. Why not? If people aren't telling you why then yeah, you're just going to be stuck.
1: Yeah. I think I've I've over the years um I've reached out to folks that I've developed a trust with to, to ask them, you know, have those, you know, sort of 360 conversations with them to be like, Hey, what is it that I'm doing well? Mm-hmm. What can I improve? Like, what are the things that maybe like, what are my blind spots? So I'm, I'm definitely with you there because it, it's helped give me a lot of insight on like, Oh, I need to be more decisive more. Mm-hmm. I, I need to stop being so much of a perfectionist, like 80% is good enough to kind of move forward, instead of, you know, wasting away on that last 20%. Um, And that's feedback that I've gotten from people that I've developed that trust with.
0: I would definitely agree with that. That's, I think I mentioned earlier, that's something that I've been in any of my creative endeavors is trying to avoid this notion of trying to always seek perfection, you know, Most of the time, that profession you're seeking is not even visible to the other people who are going to see it. (laughs) No matter how much nobody's going to see
1: it. Yeah, nobody's going to see that twenty percent. Yeah.
0: No.
1: Uh, That's funny. Um, The last thing that I wanted to kind of like touch on, like takeaway wise from like day one, Mm -hmm. was this this idea. um, Benjamin, I'm going to probably pronounce his last name wrong. I think it's Rial.
0: It's Um, a Benjamin
1: real, real, real. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was close. (laughs) I I do have some, uh, you know, Spanish speaking ability, but I'm not great. Um, he was talking about, you know, the value of design when there is no design ops team and, and what he had experienced was they had a team in place, you know, org shifts and, you know, reshuffles within the organization. And then all of a sudden, like almost everyone on his team was like cut. Oh wow. And it wasn't until those people were cut that all of the team and teams that they were supporting realized the value that Design Offs had brought to the table. It was like all of a sudden Design Ops was gone and these teams were like, oh MG, you all were doing so much. Like, where is this now? This was... is this is painful. This is incredibly <laughs> painful. Please, please, please. Can we get design ops back?
0: Wow. Yeah. I mean, did he give concrete examples about like, we lost X, Y, and Z and this happened?
1: Um, He went into some of the details. I, I recommend folks like watching it. He was a really great speaker and really talked about this. Um, okay. the things that it kind of hit was, and, and this is something, um, you know, uh, Jihad who you know is the senior director where we are him and I have talked about this and he had shared his perspective on this he he looks at design ops operations in general as kind of the uh, like a train system mhm um, you you don't think about it until it's either not there or it's not working well for you right as long as it's running and as long as long as, as long as it's running smoothly you don't think about it
0: I mean, can you imagine a world where we didn't have our Figma library? <laughs> I would never open anyone's design files ever. Oh, <laughs> you need me to collaborate? No, I'll just build it myself. Don't worry.
1: Yeah. So, uh, to me, like his talk was—it was inspiring because you know, here's one of those vulnerable sort of candid, you know, situations where it was like, um, you know. Here's a failure. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't maybe his direct failure. It was probably completely out of his control. Yeah. Um, but it was a failure in my in my opinion and probably several people's opinions, and, like, probably including the teams that he supported has opinion. in. Um, but it was a failure. And it was just to say, like, hey, this was the impact of this decision. And, you know, it had dramatic business impacts. Like you said, all of a sudden tomorrow, Figma libraries were gone we would have riots <laughs> straight yeah. up virtual riots. And I realize that that's probably not very appropriate considering <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> political situations, <laughs> but I feel like our teams would be really pissed off and would be flipping desks left and right if that were gone. But I mean, it, it, it goes to show it's like we've slowly over time rooted in these operational practices and you know built a lot of effectiveness around things. And if all of a sudden tomorrow all that were yanked out, like pe- people would really, really struggle.
0: Yeah, I'm new. Um, I don't know what to do.
1: And and you know I think, um, I was a conversation Dave Malouf and I were having once um, a long time back, and he was talking about this idea that just because you don't have a design ops person does not mean that design ops is, is not being done.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Anytime, you know, designers aren't, you know, actually designing things and, and that level of strategy that they that they implement, the value that they bring, when they're not designing, they're doing operations, mm-hmm. setting meetings, trying to figure out like which tool to get, try to figure out like how to implement this library, try to figure out how to, communicate more effectively with, you know, product partners, like all of that's operations. Yep. So, you know, when people step back to start thinking about like the value of design ops, like it's already there. Design ops is already part of your culture, whether you have a person or a team that's actually driving it or not, it's there. Mm-hmm. It's, and it's, once you start thinking about like what would happen if this were gone, then all of a sudden you start to appreciate the value of it.
0: Yeah, every, I mean, every cross-functional team has it, right? You the UI and backend engineering teams, they have their mm-hmm. own operations, you know? What is it, the yep. CI, CD pipeline, stuff like that? Yep. And yep. PM with their with their funnels and their customer tracking, all that stuff. It's like, it was only natural that the design team starts to recognize everything else that they do outside of the strategic and iterative design as operations.
1: Yeah, and I, I'm with you. I think you're touching on... A really important point which is this was inevitably going to happen for mm-hmm. design. and it had been happening for some time you know we've got a we've got a catchy you know fun name design ops yeah i feel like there should be like like lightning bolts coming by and say design ops. <laughs>
0: Maybe we can add that effect <laughs> in
1: um but yeah it, it was this is something that's been happening you know uh, managers have been doing it, uh, design leads have been doing it, project managers have been doing it. It's just now it's through the focus and curation of people that do the work. You know, a lot of design ops folks that I've spoken to came from a design background. Mm-hmm. That, that was just kind of their cur- career trajectory. It's like, Hey, I was designer. I understand how this is done. And I'm actually going to improve the way that things are done. Oh, bingo. I'm a design ops person.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Well, it's good. You know, I mean, obviously that was only day one, day two and day three, obviously are going to have more, which we'll save for other episodes, right? We don't want yeah. to give it all the way in one episode. No, um,
1: we've, we'll be sitting here recording for like hours and hours. And like <laughs> people want to listen to us drone on for that long. They need a break.
0: <laughs> yeah. Now, there's definitely some interesting topics in there that I want to touch on a little bit more, but I think for today, I think we've covered enough. Overall, it sounds, you know, from from listening to you speak and, and your enthusiasm, it sounds like it was overall a good conference, so I'm happy to hear that.
1: It was a wonderful conference um and um, and it's not that like lou's paying me under the table or something to say that <laughs> <laughs> although he's probably gonna be cracking up listening to this um i i literally got a lot out of this the cohort experience the speakers the tribe like all of it felt very um invigorating revitalizing galvanizing what other sort of adjectives have out there <laughs> um yeah there were really great speakers in each of the days i highly recommend once they post the the recordings up for folks to be able to access that folks actually watch it i still to this day watch videos from the first design ops summits from like 2018 that are like posted mm. up on youtube like i still go back to some of those and like rewatch some of them just because there's some really good nuggets in there and i feel like the content that was shared a lot of it is fairly timeless mm-hmm. you know some of it's a little bit more appropriate to you know pandemic and COVID times and stuff but um a lot of it's timeless
0: cool bro well thanks again man i'm glad we got this one knocked out of the park and yay let's keep keep the train rolling And that concludes today's episode. As I said earlier, this is the first of a three-part series where we're going to touch on day two and day three of the conference. And as always, if you have any feedback for us or you want to chat about anything, you can hit us up on Instagram at Design. So thanks again for tuning in. We'll catch you next time. Peace out.